Hello, and welcome back to the Drinking Liberally podcast, the show that combines good alcohol with some friendly political banter. I'm your host, Kevin Wilson, and this week I'm joined in the co-host chair by our man from the soundboards, Yogs. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, Yogs, it's uh, good to chat with you. I know uh, this. Um, I, I look forward to these weekly uh, check-ins with everybody now that we, <laughs> we don't see each other in person anymore. It's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> making the best of it. But uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Yogs and I just went through a number of different uh, technical difficulties to get this up and running. So fingers crossed the audio holds strong for this whole recording. Yeah, I feel like the fans got to give us a coronavirus break here. Uh, <laughs> right. Quarantine, uh, isolation break or whatever please, you call it. So, please. Yeah, please. Yeah, bear with us. <laughs> so today uh, we're going to talk, obviously, the main topic on everyone's uh mind and just absorbing our lives is coronavirus but we're going to talk about that a little bit at the top uh if you do find that stuff too depressing then uh you can fast forward to the next segment which will uh be about some more politics in general uh we've got news on the democratic nominee side of things to go through and then as we've done the past few weeks we're going to end with some uh, ideas about what's keeping us busy during quarantine, what's keeping us entertained, uh, just so we can end on a little more of a lighthearted note. But before we get to all of that, we have to do our standard uh, drinking discussion. Thankfully, Always. thankfully, I was able to get a, uh, a new batch of beer delivered uh, that is still up and running here in Massachusetts. And this week, I got a local brew called the, uh, the Wally from Wachusett Brewing Company, and that's out of uh, Westminster, Massachusetts. And I'm going to be completely honest with our listeners right now. The cover of uh, the artwork on this can makes me think I might have already drank this on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it I looks familiar. Yeah, I might have gotten this down in Jersey for one of our earlier episodes, but um, I'll be damned if I'm going to go back and find out right now. So... <laughs> I would be interested to see what my thoughts are on the beer then versus now, but whatever. Yeah. I feel uh, like you're in a new state now, so it's all clean slate again. It's so all clean go back slate. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is season two of 20. It's 2020. <laughs> uh, we're starting over if we have to. And honestly, at this point, uh, I'm taking what I can get on the beer front. So, <laughs> so this is uh we're back to an IPA after drinking some scotch whiskey last week. Uh, it's a hazy New England style IPA being up from New England. This company, they've been around since 1994. This is a delicious New England style IPA. For those of you that don't remember what New England style IPAs mean, it means that that's that really hazy citrusy type. Um, when you pour this out, it's going to be like a, a solid orange color. Lots of smells. This one included lemon, orange peel which is it's great um especially i i got my allergies going right now so this helps uh like open the sinuses up a little bit <laughs> and uh you know the taste follows uh you've got a lot of orange to it you can pour it out like i said it's got that orange color to it but not a lot of head on it but yeah. it does have that citrus taste does it um, have that blue moon uh, kind of vibe to it or not really it, it, infinitely better than blue moon <laughs> no offense blue moon or maybe offense but whatever i feel like blue moon is a poor man's version of this beer that's how much i enjoy this <laughs> uh there, there's a lot more flavor to this one than, yeah. than say a blue moon um it's almost got a little of like a creamy type taste to it so with the orange it's it's almost like an orange creamsicle 
Yeah. Uh, but not super sugary, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely makes sense. So, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's delicious. I love this uh, this beer. I have a six-pack of it. I'm through most of it at this point. Not tonight, but <laughs> over the course <laughs> of the week. Um, so I'll definitely pick up more of this, and I'm hoping to really get a bunch of new beers uh, delivered as I'm trying to avoid going to the local liquor store. Um, there's a little old man that runs that that I'm afraid I'll... <laughs> asymptomatically pass coronavirus <laughs> too if i go there so i've been trying to avoid going in person anywhere and just getting stuff delivered to my door uh, does massachusetts have the you have to wear a mask now because that's happened here in uh, new jersey uh, uh it's not yeah not a rule yet uh but uh, i am seeing more and more people my wife and i went out to uh target to do some grocery shopping yeah and it was pretty unnerving there was someone at the door um in the you know the vestibule to the store uh counting who's coming in and out I guess there's a limit on the number of people that are allowed in the store at a time at yeah. this point. And a lot of them were wearing masks. Uh, my wife and I were not because we don't have one. Yeah. Um, but we did try to stay as far away from everyone as we could. Yeah. Um, it, it was definitely unnerving just seeing yeah. how empty the store was. Um, the craziest part, though, was not necessarily Target. was the parking lot has a Starbucks next door. And half the parking lot was coned off and roped off with a police car what the hell is going on is this coronavirus lid and it's kind of rona related it's more so because the drive-through line at starbucks is insanely long now so they had to make yeah cars looping around through the parking lot and there was police directing traffic that's how many people were at the starbucks (laughs) a friend in california told me waited 35 minutes in the drive-through at uh for starbucks so that's that's definitely no thank you (laughs) yeah but what they've done is, you know, Governor Phil Murphy, I think, is doing a tremendous job. Uh, you know, New Jersey, New York is obviously a very hot area. It's got some of the highest uh, death rates right now with the virus uh, in the country. And the new rule now is a store and essential business can now turn you away if you don't have a mask on. Really? Wow. So, yeah. So now you have to wear the mask. And they've limited the amount now to 50% capacity to a store. So... Uh, whatever your capacity was, you have to know more than 50%. So if you're a supermarket or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think they're, uh, they're trying to, trying to cut down on a lot of that too. Uh, but you know, Phil Murphy's just been very, very good. Uh, obviously we're just relying on our governors now, right? Cause we don't have a federal government. So yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think Massachusetts is not as, uh, it's not as much of a hot zone, right? Is that uh, not you know, right? yet? And hopefully okay. it stays that way. Um, yeah. I'm over in uh, Middlesex County and last I checked, it has one of the highest, uh, um, numbers of confirmed cases in the state. Um, I'm lucky enough to be near a number of major hospitals. Uh, I am relatively new to the area, so I can't speak to how the quality of the hospitals I am near. Um, but I'm close enough to a number of them. I, I've passed, uh, while driving around. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> it's not too far. I can be there in two minutes. Um, yeah. I feel but, like you have a lot of social distancing space out there. You know, yes. You can... And, uh, you know, I'm in a suburb at this point. Um, so it's very different from when I lived in Jersey. Um, yeah. it's a lot closer. I mean, I, I'm still in an apartment complex, yeah. But I don't see nearly as many people out here. Because oh, your, your last complex is big. And uh, and I'll tell you right now, that's like a hotspot area, I'm sure, that part of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
in a weird way, you're better off uh, having moved <laughs> just yeah. in time. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's at least that's at least good. But yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens with the entire country now. I mean, there's a lot of news. Um, models are being you know dissected and this and that. And then we have this whole issue now of are the places that are kind of not as hot, I guess would be the word. Are they about to be what's going to happen there and all that kind of stuff. So I guess that's the big topic, uh, um, that we don't know yet. Yeah. Well, that that's the main worry, right? Like we, if there's going to be a pandemic, you assume spots like New York city and Los Angeles, like major metropolitan areas are probably gonna be the hardest hit solely because of population density. Yeah. Uh, and especially with an airborne, you know, flu like, um, disease that's going out there, like a highly contagious one. That's obviously you're going to affect more people there. And, you know, statistically you'll have more deaths. Yeah. Um, the real concern is what happens when that hits more rural areas that don't like <laughs> I, I touched on before. I have a number of hospitals in my vicinity that I could go to. What happens when you hit an area that doesn't have a single hospital? Um, and they're just going to the local doctor's office for this. Can they treat that? Do they have ventilators for those patients? That's a huge concern. And that's why it's important to kind of stop it if we can in these yeah. major population centers. And is why, you know, you've seen the governors of New York, New Jersey, and Ohio yeah. shut down the way they have. I mean, it, I, I see people complaining about it. I've seen people call it draconian and things like that, but that's what's necessary right now. Like everyone's got to take one for the team. Yeah. Uh, Cause we've never seen anything like this really. Never. Like, it, it's so strange to be in a world where, you know, you're walking down the street and uh, you know, I go take my dog out for a walk and I see someone coming the other way and I will, I'll cross the street. Yeah. To get out of their like way. <laughs> yeah. I'll get out of their way just because I don't even want to come close. And I know they probably don't want to be close to me either. And it's just yeah. weird. Like no one's, I feel like going out of the way to say hi to people anymore. Yeah. Um, and and I, you even, know, yeah. No, but, but you yeah. know, what's crazy is I feel like that concept we've talked about a lot, you know, the last couple of years doing the show and just in general about this idea of two Americas, right? Not just red state, blue state, but like two Americas in all these different ways, you know, socioeconomically, culturally, all these different things. And I never thought I'd see it again with like a virus. And it's really is like two Americas. And I don't just mean like, I mean, it's kind of becoming bluish red kind of thing, but you're seeing areas that are hot spots, New York, LA, maybe certain parts of Florida, DC now, Philadelphia is apparently like becoming more than Louisiana and like a couple of these other states and cities. And the ones that kind of are being dismissed, especially by like the government as like, well, those areas are fine, they're more rural or this and that. And they're kind of not seeing what we're seeing, but then you see now what you just mentioned, these places don't have a lot of hospitals. They don't have a lot of the equipment that they need, but I read, and this is pretty much true because we've seen it in our area. It takes one person. And I read this today. One person can create such a chain reaction, which is such a highly contagious disease yeah. that these areas aren't safe. And like, like I read today, I think, um, uh, Rachel Maddow is always fantastic pointed out the governor of Iowa is still not, shut the state down okay they have over a thousand cases of coronavirus in the state of iowa which is not a very big state and it's not a very populous state right so a thousand there is a lot 
And they're now dealing with a lot of the stuff that New York, LA was dealing with maybe two, three weeks ago. Yeah. And I think behind. it lags behind. And a lot of these states that didn't shut things down, and that's kind of what you made the point about, about getting ahead of things. These states that didn't shut things down are going to realize that there is a lag. It doesn't just happen where it's like one day you have 2,000 cases, 10,000 cases. It happens where you don't have any, then it's one, five, and then all of a sudden you have 2,000, then 4,000. Yeah. I mean, just look at New York. As of uh, we're recording this on Thursday, uh, the 9th, and as of today, there's over 7,000 dead in New York alone. Yeah. And That's you look at the number of how many – yeah, how many was it, Kevin, about four weeks ago? If you go back four weeks, that number was minuscule, correct? Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember when I did the little mini-sode um, about a month ago, that was. I did like a brief eight-minute pod, and I think in that episode, we were at about 700 dead. Yeah. Now we're at, uh, I think, over 14,000. Exactly. And it's such a— and, That was a month. Like, that's I, the scary thing. And I guess we could start with like kind of this part of the convo real quick, because one thing I kind of wanted to ask you about, which is really interesting, is in coronavirus isn't just a virus story because there's so many different subtopics we can get into that involve the federal government, the states, the Trump administration, all this stuff. And like from testing to having equipment to states being on their own bidding against each other, all these crazy different things. But one of the ones that really like irks me the most is and a lot of conservatives who then play dumb later on saying oh i never said that there the game we're in now is minimizing death numbers as if it's just some kind of like tally on a scoreboard and all that and you've seen the thing that you know tucker carlson put up yesterday which is like well x amount of people die in a car accident x amount of people die from you know this this injury this that and which, now they're quantifying oh, god yeah it burns me up and i know it burns you up too no, is, are people realizing we've had to shut the country down to get these numbers? Well, that's like, – I don't think so because, I mean, they're trying to mitigate it. And like the, the Tucker Carlson example you just brought up is the perfect one where, yeah, he's comparing yearly flu deaths, car accident deaths, cancer deaths, and all this such to uh, coronavirus deaths, which is not an apples-to-apples apples comparison at all. No. Like, like come talk to me when – car accidents are contagious yeah <laughs> like that's... Or, or there's four thousand people dying in a month right <laughs> yeah know? it's just not that's not how it works you need to it needs again apples to apples he's doing apples to oranges with all these so don't be misled when you hear arguments like that even when people are saying well it's not as bad like you uh, trump himself has said this you know the yearly flu he tweeted about this kills yeah. seventy thousand people a year it's like yes that is true but a couple things to remember, coronavirus, now this is on top of the yearly flu. It is more contagious than the yearly flu, has a higher mortality rate than the yeah. yearly flu. More that is why we are shutting down major economic centers of the country. Yeah. Like, nobody yeah. wants to do that. Yeah. Imagine it's, it's, going to, it's already crippling the economy. We have 16 million people have filed for unemployment in the last three weeks. We would yes. not be doing this unless this was a literal life and death situation because it has destroyed the economy already and it's going to get worse. Yeah. Can you imagine, Kevin, we said, hey, only 70,000 people died from the flu, but Americans had to stay home for five months 
and quarantine themselves and not talk to anybody and all our businesses had to be shut down and all these restaurants and all these people had to lose their jobs and 70,000. Can you imagine you that happening for the flu? Right. We would, we would have been, we wouldn't have been able to become a society. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's interesting watching conservative media at this point, make these arguments that, um, you know, the Trump administration came out and said a hundred to a 200,000 people might die. And that's one of the newest estimates. Yep. Um, and it's been fascinating in a morbid sense to watch conservative media twist themselves around to paint that as a good thing. Yes. And move the goalposts so far oh, by saying like, so well, it could moved. have been millions and now it's only 100,000 dead. Yeah. I'm like, well, okay. I don't understand where this logic comes from. And I wish I could take credit for this comparison. But a lot of people on social media have made this this argument like, where were these conservatives when 9-11 happened? Yep. And 3,000 American died. died. And yep. massive tragedy. And all of them were gung-ho for war and gung-ho to upend the Constitution, give up rights to the federal government to spy on us, all in the name of safety. And now we're talking 100,000 people dead, and they are arguing, oh, it's crushing the economy. So we should reopen everything and let those people die. It's like, the mental gymnastics are insane yeah, to me. The, the, the idea of the value of a life that gets so spun into a gymnastics verbal game is it's so it's a hypocrisy on the highest level. Yeah. One minute, you know, you're protesting people for abortion and you're protesting people for, you know, right to live or right like like you know, right to live. Right. And you're minimizing death that's happening on such a fast scale from a virus. I mean, this these numbers are a month, 6 weeks. These are numbers that people shouldn't die from in a year doing anything else if you shut a country down. You know, we right. shut the country down if there was no coronavirus, right? Completely shut it down. You would still have deaths from things like, you know, like cancer and, you know, sure. things that are that happen naturally to the body. But then you would have none of these accidental deaths, murders down, all this kind of stuff. And you would brag about like, look at the, look at, look at the amount of people that we've saved. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Trump's argument now is trying to argue that he saved thousands and thousands of lives with his with his actions, which is revisionist history. It's massive revisionist history. And that's the point. If you're going to sit here and say the value of a life is X, but then you have thousands of people dying in a one month span, but then equate that to the number isn't bad because it wasn't in the millions, which could have been projected and which would have happened if we weren't doing what we're doing. That's always been the problem. We even said it on uh, the last few episodes that when we take these measures to mitigate the effects of a contagious virus, it's going to slow the spread, in theory, and reduce the number of deaths. And that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And too many people in this country are going to see a reduced death count and a slowing spread and say, see, this was overblown. We didn't need to do any of that. Yeah. And ignore the fact that the only reason they can make that argument is because we took those measures and took them seriously yeah. in the first place. And you know what? These people now are in the they, – they can say whatever they want. They can lie about it later. When If Trump's gone, they can lie about it, all this stuff. They are in the mud 
And they will always have this on their hands because when they say something like mitigating, well, it wasn't as bad, that, that what they're protecting Trump is what they're doing. They just mm-hmm. don't want this to look bad on Trump. That's the bottom line of the entire thing. Well, guess what? Now this is on your conscience now because when you're minimizing the death of maybe 50, 60,000 people or 40,000 or whatever the number – and we all hope the number's low. And you're mitigating, you're you're comparing that to it wasn't seven two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, or a million, just to defend someone. You're you're dishonoring the people that have died from this virus and the people that have died saving people, you know, in hospitals, nurses, doctors. Yep, I 100% agree with you there. I think you nailed it on the head. I I think the the one thing that you mentioned there was like this is on their conscience. I don't think a lot of these people have a conscience anymore. I think you don't. You're 100 percent right. I think they don't care anymore. I don't know how you live with yourself by making no. those arguments. That, you know, like look yeah. at look at the Glenn Becks of the world. Yeah. Who was sitting there making an argument that oh again, is it is it worth destroying the economy to save these lives? Yes, the economy will still be here later. Yeah. Is it worth destroying the stock market? They keep arguing like the stock market is a modern invention. Yeah. We didn't have the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> going back yeah. hundreds of years it, it would be fine you could actually yeah. rebuild that later on yeah it's more and, important to save human lives i'd argue that opening up the economy and letting potentially millions of people die will be worse for the economy in the long run than well, sputtering it out for a period yeah. of five six months and kevin how about the arrogance and the gall of these people right to assume that this is a snap your thumb thing that can just happen so for example even now trump he's 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 using that language again that oh we got to be open for business open for business all that garbage, and then this this idea of they're going to open not open they're going to create a second now task force that's job is to think about reopening the economy which I'm not exactly opposed for no but I'm I, not but, opposed to that at all but we know that's not what this is this is how can we rush people back yeah. is what's going to be the goal of this but the bottom line is Fauci said it we've all said it the virus tells us when we come back we we that's these it. people. Think that if you just say, "Hey, we're open," what people are going to rush out now? Or Kevin, right I'm now they say, open hey, we're open, and the virus just says, "Oh shit, I didn't realize America was open." Let me yeah. let me just let me just stop spreading. Yeah, and the thing is, are you going to go out? Are gonna, there's going to be idiots that go out because they don't care? Immediately, there'll be people at bars and the oh, second yeah. they open, but I'm exactly. avoiding that for weeks after because there's going to be a second wave of it. Exactly, and that's still if if like. 10% of the population are idiots that don't give a shit about their health and other people's health and go out and want to do whatever. There's this vast majority of people that aren't going. Like I remember before the everything was legally shut down, you would see like bars were open, but they weren't packed. No, there's – yeah. There, there would be people yeah. in them, but it wasn't like, oh my god, restaurants were starting to struggle, especially in this area when it was starting to get really, really – now people have seen the death toll, and that's before when people were underestimating the virus. Remember, it was just a flu. It's yeah. a glorified cold. If you're young, it doesn't affect you. All those talking points. Imagine now knowing what we know now. The fear is even greater. It's, no one's just going to run out and be like, let me spend all my money and, yeah, in a restaurant I mean, just, or a bar. If I knew two months ago what I know now, like I would not have been going out. And I, I went out in February. Like, I went out to a conference and everything. Like, I yeah. 
probably wouldn't have done that knowing yeah. what I know now. We didn't have a government that was telling us what's going on, that was giving us information, that At had a that plan. At that time, it was still, no. like, we had a, a couple senators that were, like, raising, you know, red flags about it. Yeah. But at that time, we hadn't really seen confirmed cases because, again, we yeah. weren't testing for it either. Yeah. Right. So we certainly had cases. We just no. – it wasn't in the media. And at yeah. that time, it was still relegated to yeah. China and Italy. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that's over there. You don't have to worry yeah. about that. Exactly. Maybe we'll have a couple cases here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and, the Princess Cruise Line. Like, yeah. that was it. Yeah. And, that... yeah, I, I mean, looking back, I that that weighs on me. Like, we went out. In February, but we did not only did we not know any better, but think about all this stuff too. First of all, on, on a side point, what's going to come out later is who knew what and when, which is going to be crazy. Yep. What's co- congressmen knew, what senators knew, what the intelligence community knew, what the president—that's going to be a crazy side. We're story already starting to see part of that. A hundred percent. Yeah, we're starting to we're, see stories about like, hey, remember yeah. in, in December 2019 when this yep. was on a presidential briefing. Yep, we're seeing a, and you'll see that now. The president's trying to find blame, something new to blame every single day. He tried to blame the World Health Organization yesterday, and they, there was something that was released that showed that they were saying when the cases popped up in Wuhan and China, basically it was going on. Hey, this is already out there, and the CDC should be aware. Like they, people knew about this back then. This yeah. is craziness now that like, oh, this is just sparked up upon us out of thin air. But like you said, Italy, these other places, they seem far away. And one thing the government didn't do is it's not their job to be like, oh, that's far away. We'll never come here to have that kind of hubris. Maybe a citizen like us that doesn't have intel, that doesn't have access to information. Yeah, we can be forgiven for not knowing that. Most of these cases came from Europe in New York and L.A. Because it's not like all people flew from China. More people, Americans, travel to Europe than China, which is obvious. Mm-hmm. Your Americans are traveling there and Europeans are traveling here for weeks. So for this whole thing, like, oh, we shut down China, we did this. And they never shut down Europe, by the way. That's another blatant lie. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that's remember a that, blatant remember lie. Remember that as being a whole big thing? Yeah. That was never shut down. Europe travel was never shut down. The day when we started shutting down our places, there were flights that were starting to become limited to 20 countries or so. American citizens were allowed to come back. But before that, there was free reign. There's never been another lie. There's never been testing at the airports. There's never been people that were tested coming off of planes. Nope. The best that happened is some people had their temperature taken. That's it. Right. Um, Meanwhile, we could be doing what South Korea has been doing. And like, you get your temperature tested going into the supermarket. Yeah. And if you got a fever, they turn you the hell around. Like, well, get out of here. You got to go home. The countries that are thriving are the ones that have testing. And that's the other thing I want to bring up here because this is this was a story today about how now the federal government is going to stop financing testing. They're putting it all in the states again. Unbelievable. Which, which is another classic. What's the point uh, of the federal government then? Well, that's the thing. You can't be Trump and saying we're going to open the country for business. Oh, so in that sense, you believe you have a magic wand that you're in charge of the states. But on the other hand, yep. you're saying, well, no, it's states' rights. Well, they, they have to take care of themselves. So wait, so you're going to force the state of New York to open for business? Well, if New York says no, we're not ready yet. Yeah, then I, I guess these states' rights Republicans have to honor that, right? Correct. I, I, I say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because uh, they don't know. It's it's ridiculous because yeah, the whole states' rights argument yeah. from a lot of the conservatives in our government is complete and utter bullshit. Yeah. And yeah. they make that argument solely when it means they get what they want. Yeah. Uh, they're not actual. 
you know, states' rights advocates. Not at all. And, only if it fits what they're currently arguing for. And do you see a way out of this without mass testing? Everyone's been saying it. Everyone with knowledge no. from Bill Gates to today Barack Obama to everyone knows no one's going to feel comfortable unless you have testing. And no one. Here's here are a couple of worrisome things. Um, <laughs> like one will be, is it ever going to be possible to test you and I? Say we say, I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, the two of us we get through all this without getting sick. Mm-hmm. Can we get a test later this year to see? Did we actually? Maybe we got infected. We just didn't have any symptoms. Yeah, an antibody test. A lot of countries will are there to be develop. an antibody test? Will there be an effective one? I hope so. But it's possible we won't. I believe that it's not possible because Trump administration has now made it clear they don't care about testing. I mean, look at the quote from today. Someone brought that up again. He's saying there's parts of the country that don't need testing because they're not having problems. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. (laughs) I I, I think we're going to have to rely on the private sector here again, which is sad. We're going to need a company like that the drug companies are working on it. And again, it's going to become a for-profit system, probably, unless they decide that, hey, the government is like, you know, corona should be free. But these tests... Yeah, here's the worst, the conspiracy... I mean, not the worst, uh, a conspiracy theory that I've heard a lot in my adult life that now seems to ring true is that a lot of the Republicans in the government right now are incompetent on purpose. Yeah. Because they want the people to lose faith in the government and have more faith in the private sector because that's where Republicans have their money. And we talked uh, last week or two weeks ago on this pod about the number of Republicans that um, senators that had investments in companies that make, um, you know, healthcare equipment and things like that, that got briefed in January about the coronavirus and then immediately made trades to buy stock in healthcare equipment companies. So they're profiting off of this. And that is, again, it's conspiratorial, but it's one that's holding more and more water for me because that's how they're acting. And if they are not comfortable with people thinking that that's their reasoning, then they should stop doing that shit. Well, their actions are kind of pointing out to that because they stopped, they stopped other people from developing things like tests and other types of information that would have been helpful to fight this virus and, you know, relied on different companies. Maybe they had their own companies. Maybe they had this. Maybe they had that. Like, you could tell that it's that when all this is unraveled, that you're going to see a lot of these, these, like, money grab. Yeah, corruption. Corruption. You're just playing corruption. Exactly. Uh, we're going to see, see so many stories of, hey, we could have had tests on this date, but this guy who had connections to this pharmaceutical company delayed it because he wanted his company to be the people running the tests and was bidding against them. Like that's, we'll, we'll see it. It'll eventually come out. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there are a number of people that get to live in their, you know. In their mansions, I brought up the the Glenn Becks of the world before, yeah. who are talking about like, oh well, we need to save the economy. I was like, yeah, says the fucking millionaire who's <laughs> recording from his basement of his private mansion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, it's uh, easy for you to say. He's like, I would die for the economy. I was like, all right, give it a try then. Yeah, get out there, man. You do it, and and I maybe we can link this in our footnotes or something like that. Sure. But I encourage everyone to check out that BBC 
uh, news anchor woman who gave the most perfect, perfect uh, synopsis of what this is all about and how it's affecting people. When they say, oh, you know, the virus, you know, we have to we have to we can will this away. We, no, the point is that the people who are fighting this are the people that need money. You're not going to work in a supermarket. You're not going to work in one of these essential jobs. You're not going to do any of these frontline jobs that are putting yourself at risk if you didn't need the money and if you weren't from a lower level income scale. Those are the people that are getting sick now. Let's be honest. If you live in a mansion, you're going to stay home. You're not. It's not a, a burden on you to do social distancing. You're in a nice house. You're in an area where you don't have to go out much. If you abide by the rules, you're probably fine. You already you didn't lose your job. You're already wealthy. It's the people that have to take a bus every day to go do an essential job. Yeah. It's these people out here that need the money. And those are the people keeping our economy somewhat from complete collapse yeah. at this point. It's not only the economy, uh, society. Society, yes. Because and, the grocery store shut down. Yeah. Then I, and, I, and not being alarmist there, I don't think grocery stores shut down during any of this. I think the, the food supply chains, everything yeah. I'm reading is they're solid. Yeah, it, this isn't uh, that's not a concern at this point. No, but well, if they were to shut down like that's that's not just the economy collapsing. That's yeah. society as we know it collapsing. because yeah. then you got people fighting for food. Yeah. And we're seeing the racial uh, aspects of this come out a little bit now more where it's like the vast majority of the newer cases are now minorities, yeah. uh, people of color, you know, people of disproportionate income. Well, we have people of color are already disproportionately. Um, afflicted with things like diabetes and heart disease because of income levels. Yeah, they can't afford to eat whole food. Can't afford to eat healthy. Yeah. And then are getting all these different afflictions because their health is poor to start. And then you bring something like coronavirus in, which again, even conservative media will admit this, is killing people disproportionately that have underlying health issues. Yeah. And all these underlying health issues are things like heart disease, which a insane amount of Americans already have, uh, and diabetes. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is you look at all this and one of my biggest worries, Kevin, and I, I know you probably share the same thought is there's a segment in society, especially a lot of people that support, you know, the greed of the government or don't care about the greediness of the government or don't care about a lot of things that, you know, quite frankly, are prejudiced or racist that are going to be like, well, if it's only people of color that are dying, then who cares? Oh, there will yeah. be people that say that. It's going to transform into this. Right now, everybody's affected. We're all. It's not, But I'm telling you, if this ever morphs into one of these, they're going to be like, oh, well, I don't care about coronavirus. It's only killing blacks. It's only killing Asians. It's only killing Hispanics. Uh, that's, a, that's a big fear of mine. And it's one of those that I think we're trending that way, sadly. It's, it, it's crazy. It's definitely getting framed that way by yeah. some far-right people already. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is terrifying to me yeah like, like if there me... was ever a time where we should be uniting when everyone talks about like oh we are americans you should be uniting under this like yep. it doesn't matter you live here this is again the virus does not care what your race or ethnicity is or your political leanings it affects all of us equally yeah um yeah. the health care is not equal let's let's yeah. put that in there but the virus just at its you know standard level there affects all of us equally. And if there's yeah. ever a time for the country to unite against something and put aside petty differences, like, <laughs> yeah, 
everything else we just mentioned. Um, now would be the time, but that's not going to happen because there are always bad faith actors who are going to use it for profit and use it to further divide the country because dividing the country is profitable. It's super profitable. And the other part of that is you're seeing, you know, homeless people, people that are in prisons, people that are in different aspects of society that no one really particularly cares about that are going to be have this virus. And we can't just get it out. We're not going to just be able to get rid of them and be like, we can shove them aside and make them, you know, you know, parts of society that we've already been doing as if they don't matter. They have the virus is the virus. It's around. You can't just be like, well, they have it. So who cares? And I think about that statistic in Louisiana where let's say, what was it crazy? Like 50, don't quote me on the percentage, but it was 50 or 70% of the people that have it are uh, in the African-American community there. Right. And, like, uh, you or Dennis shared that link. Yeah. In our, in our and chat. I worry about some other guy that's in Louisiana and like, you know, Baton or Baton Rouge or wherever, some other city in Louisiana that looks around and is like, oh, well, that's just affecting black people. What do I care? You know, and goes out and it just spreads the disease even more. It doesn't think that it can affect them. And, you know, it's just one of these things that the the bottom line to, to sum up kind of this part of what we're talking about. This virus is bringing out a lot of underlying the underbelly of what we have going on as a society from socioeconomics to to race, all these things. It's all come. It's it's a crazy how that all comes out. It it is crazy, and it's been interesting to watch people who have decried the left, the quote unquote left's obsession, again quote unquote obsession, yeah, 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 yeah. with uh, what they call race politics and identity yeah. politics and all of this, and I say like, well, not everything's tied to race. Well, like I think we're finding out that it kind of is. Definitely, kind of is. I mean, it kind it definitely is. I mean, like I can see how some people can start getting complacent with these statistics and they're coming out. And the reason this is happening is people, the people that have to work right now are the people that are in the lower income brackets of our society and they make it go and they never get the recognition and never get the praise. And that's why everybody out there, I'm going to have like a Jeff moment here, Jeff, this is kind of like your kind of thing to say, but you know, if you're out there and you, you know, you go to a coffee shop, you go to a supermarket, you go wherever, you know, think of these people, you know, be kind to them at the bare minimum. You know, if you can tip someone a little extra, please do that. Because these are the people that are literally risking getting the virus just to keep our day to day going just a little bit better. So my, yeah, you're hundred percent right. And you know, again, tip these people if you can. You're going anywhere at where it's expected. Maybe if it's not expected, yeah. like there's nothing wrong with tipping your cashier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I one yeah. of my my first job was working as a grocery clerk, stocking shelves in a supermarket. Right. I made minimum wage. Yeah. And the job sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. And a lot of these people are just making minimum wage or just above it, yeah. and are facing the greatest health crisis of a generation. Yeah. And, and I want to actually, one other thing I want to bring up, and I think you can, you can tell me what you think, because I don't know if you know this story yet, because it was something that I kind of read about a little yeah. bit before earlier in the day we we're coming on. But I saw that uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, who's a Republican, and he's a bit of a, you know, idiot, if I want to, if I can say that. Sure. Um, he kind of, and I think a lot of people are now realizing because of his economic impact of what's going on and all this stuff, he had the plan where the federal government should pay 80% 
of the salaries of some of these dependent workers for the next two months or as long as the virus is going on. It's wow. so, and all of a wow. sudden, socialism, a, a fiscal conservative coming out and saying that. Huh? I think because they're realizing now, I know Trump keeps touting his, his gut feeling about this economy is going to skyrocket like a rocket. That's not what's going to happen when we're all functioning back in society again. There's people that will never have a job again. again that, yeah, there's right. restaurants that will never open again. There are things that are going to happen that are going to require federal government help. And a lot of it, not just these small business loans, not just some of these other things, they're going to require a massive amount of help. And if we can pay people now that work in these industries that take a little stress off the off the burden of our economic, you know, system, it's it's only going to help. You can't just one day have everyone go back in society and all these people are out of work and be like, all right, guys, go get your job back. Yeah, everyone's back. Yeah, that's just not how it goes. The fact that it's, people think that that's how it goes is scary. I think a little bit of that is holding on to hope. Um, and it's going to be a rude awakening, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Right. Um, what really kills me is seeing the number of... Uh, I have friends <laughs> and maybe some family members, too, um, who I've seen decry those who... you know quote-unquote abuse government handouts as they call it yeah you know things like uh, welfare and unemployment they see as you know people just abuse that and they're because they're lazy and they can't get a job yeah. and now a few of those people i've seen are now talking about how unemployment isn't enough but there's no sense of like there's no hint of irony to that like it's lost on them entirely. It's like, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. hate it until you need it. Like that's the point of social safety nets is that these are here to help people out when they're down on their luck through no fault of their own. And what could be less of a fault of anybody than a pandemic virus, right? Uh, like yeah. this is exactly what social nets, uh, safety nets are designed for. This is why unemployment exists. Yeah. It's to help people get you back on your feet or yeah. support you until the the economy picks back up. Yeah. And if anything, I think this has been an argument for expanding those programs. But you see a lot of people who are benefiting from them right now that still are of the mindset that these things should be cut entirely. It's, it's crazy. It's I crazy. can't wrap my head around it. I can't either. And you and the thing is these people they've grown up in a time where capitalism was pretty much at its peak, and this is where the country became, but they don't realize that this country's built on socialist things. And it's not socialism, but socialist things that have happened. Yeah, there's Medicare, a middle ground Medicare. there. So That's the there's thing. There's a middle ground. FDR, there's a reason he's on your on your what what's he on the hundred dollar no the fifty dollar bill? Whatever. <laughs> whatever currency FDR is on, I'm blank. There's a reason why he's one of the greatest presidents of all time. Because he realized the value of what the government can do for society as opposed to just relying on something of a private sector. And the point that I'm trying to make is right now you're seeing when if you can't in a pandemic realize that you need something, an entity that will help the country and help the people, then you're lost. And Trump, sadly, is one of these because he's still trying to hang on to this like, well, uh, we're the best backup quarterback you ever had. Imagine FDR saying, you know what? I'll be the backup quarterback. You guys handle all this on your own. It'd be pathetic. <laughs> he's pulling over in his grave. 
it, it really is crazy. And the, and I like the point that you just made because I've been there. Hey, I didn't really like I always thought whenever you have a job, you never worry about health care because you have health care. Right. And yeah, you might pay some stuff here and there and you'll complain about it and this and that. Have be in a situation where you're unemployed and you can't get health insurance and then sit there and worry about you thinking about what is that? Am I sick? Am I this and that? And not knowing how you're going to pay for that. It's tr- it's traumatic. Yeah. Never has there been a argument uh, for disassociating healthcare from employment. Exactly. Pandemic. Yeah. I, I think people learn now. You you don't know how shit hits the fan until you're there. Yeah. And the, the people you're talking about, that's exactly it. They sit there and say, oh, look at this guy trying to get out. Look at this guy trying to get free health insurance. Well, I have to work for my health insurance. You know what? That all sounds great until something you can't control happens. And now your life is ruined because you can't pay for it. Yep. Um, and I think uh, I think that's a good segue to our next topic, uh, talk about healthcare in general. Uh, yep. But before we get there, because I don't want to be corrected by I, the few of you that I know will send the corrections. The Yes, the $50 bill is uh, Ulysses S. Grant. FDR is on the dime. There we so, go. FDR deserves <laughs> to be on. FDR deserves to be on currency. We need to. We need to make that happen. He's a great. I didn't want to interrupt you, Yogs, and uh, you're on a good topic. There. I was on a rant. And I um, blanked about that, and it's not the first thing I'll get wrong about something that I had a blank about. So thank you for fixing that. Right there. It's all um, good. Just yeah. want to, you know, get those messages yeah. later on when people are like, "Hey, idiot, you got yeah. this wrong." Yes. <laughs> but I'll, but I'll end, end on this topic just with one quick thing. Is Think there's is so much with coronavirus more than just the virus and the people that are unfortunately dying and the way it's affecting our society. There's all these things that are exposing flaws in our government, flaws in the Trump administration, lies that are now coming out because Trump only cares about himself. Um, well, so we and, can come out of this better. Yeah. By by watching by looking at those flaws and figuring out how to fix that yeah. for the future, be more prepared for the next pandemic because there well, will be more. And the irony is, actually, I'll correct you, Kevin, we'll just go back to where we were about four years ago, because there was a plan for pandemics. There was a playbook that the Obama administration left behind. There were people that worked for the NSA that were that were tracked with uh, worrying about pandemics. We had all that stuff that got gutted. And maybe we can go back to having that system back in place. That would be nice. Yeah, uh, it's weird that going back four years in time would actually put us ahead progressively. Well, did you see that playbook? Did you see that? It, it, yeah. I mean, oh, I read it. Yeah. It's amazing how this document existed that would have helped us this year and nobody in the administration cared about it. But, yeah, but. for those of you that might not have any clue what we're talking about. So um, when administrations change and we have a new president coming in, there's a transition period where, you know, the old administration will sit down with the new administration so the, and they train their replacements. And one of, they go through a lot of like case studies and ways like, hey, if this happens, here's how we would handle it. Obviously, you guys can do what you want, but here's <laughs> you know suggestions for you in order for you to be successful. One of these particular exercises was a pandemic response exercise that the Obama administration said was very important and went through or tried to go through it with the incoming Trump administration who essentially blew it off. And I'm not saying that has led to the disaster here, but it can't help. Okay. Can't hurt to have that around. And and another thing that hurts the argument about the, we can't never saw this coming, which is a garbage argument to begin with. I mean, it's a juvenile argument is you saw George W. Bush in 2005 
give a speech mm. about pandemics. You see Barack Obama 2014 give a speech about pandemics. This is not something that no one ever thought could happen. It's yeah. ludicrous if he did. And if you think that, he's already admitted to us now that he's not a forward-thinking person that would plan ahead and think of potential problems. Ugh. All right. Well, so much for having that be the coronavirus be the brief intro yeah. to the episode. Dominating our lives. The way it goes, you know. But yeah, uh, I'm okay with this running a little long, and if necessary, we'll split this into a two-parter. But um, I, I, we have to cover the main political news outside of coronavirus coming from the Democratic Party. True. And this week, uh, just a day or two ago. We had Bernie Sanders drop out of the race to be the Democratic nominee, essentially handing the nomination to Joe Biden at this point. Yeah. Um, a few thoughts on this. Uh, one is, yeah, you know, Bernie Sanders really did not have a path forward at this point. Um, he would have had to run the table, which is not going to happen with a lot of the states that were left over. Uh, so I think this was the right logistical move on Bernie's part to try to ensure that Donald Trump doesn't get another term. Yeah. Uh, the earlier he could throw his support behind the nominee, the better. And I get it. Um, I want to actually, yeah, let me say this first before, because I feel like we haven't been the biggest Bernie fans on this pod. Um, and I've had some friends give me shit for that. That's fine. You can like who you like. That's the whole point. Yes. That's why we have primaries. Um, I do want to say this to my friends that are Bernie fans, you know, it's okay to be angry that your nominee didn't get in. Um, it's okay to be upset about it. Uh, we felt that I felt that for Elizabeth Warren, uh, when she announced that she was moving out or I actually started to feel that when she, you know, performed very poorly in the primaries. Um, it's okay to feel those things and it's okay to even be a little angry because I understand that you identify with a lot of Bernie's politics and you see them as the greater good. And it's, and when you feel that way so strongly, because I, I do see that from his supporters that he brings out like a very fervent side of um, political um, interest. When you feel that fervently about something, it's hard to see anything less than that as anything but a betrayal right or a slap in the face so the idea that like it's going to be joe biden when you were expecting something further left and you end up with something that's more center it's insulting to your beliefs and you feel like everyone else has got it wrong and you were right and you were looking out for everybody and you feel the rest of the country is voting against their best interests. I get that feeling. And, you know, I encourage you to take the time to sit there and deal with it however you have to deal with it. Um, I know I was pretty upset. I still am that Elizabeth Warren won't be our next president because I think she was by far the best candidate on that stage with the best ideas. The most realistic ideas. Mm -hmm. I think now is the time to sit back, think about it, and then come back ready to fight again. And channel that energy into maybe Joe Biden doesn't excite you. That's fine. Joe Biden doesn't really excite me either. 
as a candidate. But, and that's my dog yeah. uh, shaking down there. He's <laughs> clapping. He's clapping, yeah, he's clapping to it. Yeah, he's supporting me there. Um, but channel that energy into defeating Donald Trump because I know you're upset and it almost feels like it'd be better to burn the world down because we don't deserve the great ideas of your candidate. But the alternative is Donald Trump at this point, which will set your movement back even further than it already has been set back. At this point, I'd rather incremental change than like walking that back even further. Um, and I also invite you to channel that energy into local politics because it's a lot easier to get someone super progressive nominated and into office if you're starting, you know, it's a grassroots movement with Bernie across the country. But we need to see more of those types of people in local government and state governments. It's hard to implement that top down and just put someone in charge up top and then expect everyone to fall in line. It's really not how politics works, unfortunately. So if you really feel strongly about what Bernie stands for, I know a bunch of our listeners do because I hear from you, uh, put that effort into your local elections. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I will tell you that anything is better than Donald Trump right now. So... Let's let's lead off with that because I feel like we we easily the two of us Yogs uh, easily get into some criticism of Bernie at times. So yeah. um, I did want to you know say that and say that I do respect the campaign he's run. I respect the fact that he's made healthcare a major platform issue for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, that the idea of expanding healthcare wasn't anywhere on this platform before Bernie Sanders. I mean, you could say, yes, Barack Obama had the ACA, um, but it, Bernie Sanders made ideas like Medicare for (laughs) mainstream, which Barack Obama was not successfully able to do. So credit where credit's due there. I think he does have a lot of ideas. Um, I do have my criticisms of him for not being self-aware as I wish he would have been, but uh, I'll, I'll start there. And then I've, I've been talking for a bit, so I'll turn it over to you, Yogg, for your thoughts on uh, Bernie dropping out. Yeah, I don't, everything you said was exceptional, and I think that's the exact tone we need to come at with uh, Bernie supporters. I wasn't a Bernie fan as well. Uh, I had a lot of criticisms of a lot of things he did. Uh, interesting why he dropped out because he surprised me because the day before that he tweeted that you know he seemed like he was all in, and I was going to become my next criticism of him that I was like, you know – at this point, we have a, a virus going on. You can't campaign. You have no path to win. At this point, you know you're 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 just disadvantaging the system in a weird way, which isn't fair because the system is based on democracy and right. having a fair vote. Yep. Uh, but I wonder if he saw what happened in Wisconsin and it opened his eyes and said, you know what, I, I can't do this. And I thought he had the most poignant quote because he made it clear. He said. I can in good conscience with this virus going on subject voters to this and more importantly not have our focus be on defeating Donald Trump. Yeah, and I that's the right message. I give Bernie a ton of credit for that. I don't it's because it doesn't matter how you got to an epiphany or a, or a point or whatever the fact that he got there 
Um, and then you put in your equation, it's hard to end a political campaign, especially when you were a favorite when, or you were leading at one point, I should rather say, and you were considered to be at one point the problem nominee and you have so many people on your staff and your fan base is so loyal. I get that. It's really, really hard to just drop out. But the fact that he did the right thing at the right time, you know, kudos to him. And I love that he, you know, right away, he did what I was hoping you would do. And he just tried to get a unifying tone. You know, he, he praised Joe Biden. He talked about helping, you know, with ideas, all that kind of stuff. And and that's all great. And I thought it's very, very, very important. And um, the work now starts with what you just did in your, um, in your topic point there. The work now starts in getting these voters who are more on the progressive side of the party, should I say, that, hey, there's a bigger picture here. My candidate, I, I'm with you. I did support Biden when, when he started. I do support Biden now. I actually think Biden's a better candidate than most people do, but he wasn't my favorite candidate. He's not the person whose ideas I, I uh, you know, was most inspired by. You know, I thought Elizabeth Warren was great. I thought Sherrod Brown at the very, very beginning was great. Sure. There's, there's people that I definitely like better, but some people made a point. We had a vote here. Any, anyone's candidate could have won. You know, Pete could have won. Uh, uh, Cory Booker could have won. Kamala. They were all in position at one point where we had debates and we had votes. And the best thing we can do is live with what we had. Bernie was involved in the rules this time you know he was heavily involved in how the system was going to work this wasn't something that some rigged system that kind of was like turned against him and stuff the bottom line is candidates a big field was there and a nominee was selected by voters whether we agree with those voters or not they were selected by the voters and the only option we have now is to unify around the candidate. And like you said, if we're going to sit here and then get nitpicky about this and that, and and I agree on one part, listen, it's not just, a, especially at this sensitive time that you just mentioned how people are sad that their candidate's out. You can't just tell them, well, now you got to vote for this guy's good. And I give Biden, today he actually tried a little bit. He gave, he, he's reaching out. You know, he's talking about lowering the Medicare age, which is very important, I think. Yeah, uh, erasing student death for, you know, Death, gosh. Uh, <laughs> Let's hope students yeah. aren't dying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, student, student debt. debt. <laughs> uh, yeah. Student debt for people that come from HB, you know, H, you know, historically black colleges mm-hmm. uh, that come from, you know, other schools that need help. So that's an overture. And I'm sure those overtures will come along the way. But the bottom line is if you want your progressive platform to ever grow and ever become something, then there's only one thing to do. There's only one thing to do. If you don't, the person that will then win by default is going to gut everything. Gut gut the Supreme Court. The judges are already being gutted now. It's going to become even worse. Civil liberties are going to become a bigger issue. And you're going to be nowhere near having health care for everyone. It's going to go backwards, actually. So Yeah. The the next president is going to choose who replaces Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. And maybe Breyer. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, it, the court skews very old right now. Yeah. This and can Trump already got to a point days. two. If you get to a point another one or two, that is, and I feel like most of our listeners are around our age, but like that's the rest of our lifetime. Yeah. 
is dictated by yeah. a super right-wing yeah. conservative Supreme Court. And everyone, look just what happened with this Wisconsin ruling. They voted. Yeah, explain uh, explain these, that for people who might not know. There was basically a rush. You know, obviously Wisconsin, the state legislature there was at odds with the governor. They didn't want to move the date um, of the primary or because of uh, coronavirus and the fact that, you know, they have stay-at-home orders. It's a risk to people. It's a risk to people's health to have them go on and vote. Well, one of the remedies for that was, all right, people can't leave their house. Let them vote by mail and extend the deadline. And the Supreme Court ruled five to four, all the conservatives, all the, you know, the, especially the two justices that Trump just put on, voted to deny that right. Basically taking away the right to vote from people by having them choose between their health or their democratic right to cast a vote. And it became a disaster in Wisconsin. You saw it. People had to go out with masks and try to social distance and stand outside in hour long waits. The polling places couldn't open to their full capacity. Right. And it went from, I think, about 180 polling places down to five. Yeah. And five, five. total. Basically, the, state. the Supreme Court agreed that the legislature of Wisconsin can disenfranchise people. Bottom line, there's no other way you can look at that. You can make a technical all oh, with the date. Listen, the date was willing to be moved. If you if you're against mail-in ballots for some crazy conspiracy theory like whatever Trump's spewing now with no evidence, fine. They were going to move the date. The date couldn't get moved, and you wanted people in, in a crisis to go out and vote. If this is this is the kind of Supreme Court we're dealing with, and that's kind of the point. This is the supreme kind of Supreme Court we're dealing with. So if you want these kind of rulings in the future, barbaric rulings. That's what's going to happen if, if we don't all support Joe Biden. And yeah, uh, very well said there. Um, that's the big thing right now is the I, I'm a huge proponent now of another you know stimulus bill. We need another one. Uh, the first one they passed with their $1,200 checks that no one has seen yet and probably won't see for months. That'll probably come too little too late. Yeah. There needs to be more consistent payments for people that are affected by this. There needs to be more protections in place for people who have lost their jobs. And long term, this is the time to put in election protections. Have to. Democrats have the leverage here to, to say, look, we're not passing another bill until you agree to vote by mail. That way, in November, people aren't, don't have to choose between risking their lives, catching a virus, standing in line, and, yeah. again, their right to vote. Yeah. And, and let me urge why this is so important, because there are states that have Republican legislatures like Florida and other states that are not going to do this on their own. They're not going to sit there and do something do the right thing like a state like New York right now or even New Jersey would do where they would understand that and, you know, make it a state law you can vote by. This has to be done federally to force these Republican legislatures that are not going to allow it. Yep. Yeah. So we'll put in our footnotes too. Again, I've done it before, but put uh, contact information for your various state legislatures. Uh, give your representative a call in the house, give your senators calls, tell them that you want to be able to vote by mail. It's not fraudulent, as Donald Trump would like you to believe. Donald Trump thinks that uh, mail voting uh, it opens the potential for fraud, despite he himself voting yeah. in this past election by mail 
So military people vote by mail, which they're absolutely entitled to, which we need them to. Yep. I mean, or, yeah, so many people soldiers overseas. Yeah. Everyone votes by mail. Absentee ballots. It's a thing in uh, <laughs> just about every state. Yeah. So there's no reason why we can't do it across the country. Yeah. Frankly, it, it makes more sense. We should have things like automatic voter registration. You turn 18, you get to vote. We, I mean, they can track you down for your taxes, can't they? They know where you yeah. are. Just you can vote. Just line it up that way by who's paying their taxes. And it should be a no-brainer. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, because someone brought this point up. There's a difference between voter suppression and voter fraud. Oh, voter absolutely. suppression is rampant, and, and it's been known. Voter fraud has yet to be proved on a big scale anywhere. I saw a study today where they they had done a, a, an analysis, and between the years of something like 2001 to about 2014, it was like 0.00036% of the votes were considered to be... It's like statistically insignificant. And the only major case of actual voter fraud recently was in North Carolina with the Republican Party. Yeah. And it came not, not from people voting. It came from the machine. It came from right. the party. Well, it came from that. Yeah. It, it, the, the, yeah. The party machine. The party machine. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Machines. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. The party, the party <laughs> In case I was confused. Not the voting machines. The party machine. That That's what it's come to. Yeah. The and, party machine had people going around collecting ballots from people yeah. and throwing them away if they were Democratic votes. Yeah. There was a commission started by Trump because of his his ridiculousness. Yeah, with and, Chris Kobach. Yeah. And, and it got dissolved because it couldn't even make any traction there. there yep. Yeah, voter fraud is not an issue. Voter it's suppression really is a massive issue. Yep. And you're right about what you said. The Dems have to put their foot down on this one. We have the leverage. Uh, you cannot allow people to vote in a second wave of a code. Because look, we're not even having any testing right now. God knows when that's going to come. A lot of people have said we've seen it in a couple of other countries now where they've tried to allow people a little bit more leniency in going out and opening up the country a little bit. And it's backslid where now, you know, there's become another wave. Can be in a situation where it's late October, November or another situation where people have to social distance and then have to choose between getting a virus or going to a polling station. That just actually cannot happen again. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you know what? I guess this wraps up our our uh, Democratic primary uh, series, huh? Yeah, we starting are, back yeah. all the way from <laughs> kind of anticlimactic, actually. <laughs> well, the guy we thought was going to win in February well, ended up probably if winning. If coronavirus wasn't here, I'm sure we probably would have had episodes for the next few months uh, with a more, you know. Yeah, well, Bernie would have more competitive yeah. uh, debates. But yeah, it is what it is at this point, and there again, there are greater goods at, at risk here. Yeah, and uh, so, and someone does we need to analyze. A lot of people voted. Uh, I saw this on social media where they had the vast list of states that never got to vote uh, in a primary uh, because it was either meaningless to or now it won't matter. And I say, you know what? This has been the way it's been for a very long time. And if you don't, if you want a greater representation, some of these states just have to move their primary up. And yep. not allow it to be about Iowa and New Hampshire anymore or South Carolina. Even. You, if you want this to be where your vote, primary vote matters, you know, you have to fight to change the system because the way it is now, this is going to happen. This isn't the I first think, time it will happen. Yeah. I think every every state should have their primaries within the same month. Yeah. Uh, I, I know. And they'll say, oh, well, now 
there's not enough time to campaign everywhere. Well, make it work. We've yeah. yeah. Social media, if anything, we've learned from coronavirus being quarantined, you can reach a massive audience from well, your home. And yeah, the reason why your your argument that argument doesn't make as much sense anymore is because people are campaigning earlier. No one's starting their campaign. You know, people are now starting their campaign two years or a full year and a half before Oh, it's like the day after election day, people start their campaigns. Yes. Yeah. So now you have so. no excuse. In the old days, people used to start their campaigns later. So you could make that argument. Well, I haven't had time to camp. No. A lot of, with the time we have now, there's people like a campaign everywhere, except spending seven months in Iowa before uh, a primary or six months in New Hampshire before a primary and doing it that way. You know, maybe that'll help the system. So a lot to learn. Up. Yeah, a lot to learn from this primary season. But uh, alas, it's over. So uh, let's focus on the bigger picture now. Absolutely. All right. Well, Yogs, let's uh, let's close out the episode with some more lighthearted uh, chatter. Uh, I I want to. The last few episodes we talked about things that are keeping us entertained during quarantine. Um, what's putting a smile on your face, or just keeping your mind off uh, the terrible news. So, let's start with you. Like, what what's okay. going on? What's keeping you entertained? You got any new shows? You got some albums? What's a uh, well, I'll bring up this little, this specific uh, tidbit because obviously I've been watching a lot of TV and Netflix and all that stuff and just as much as I can. But I had never seen uh, the movie uh, Parasite, which won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But I'd heard a lot about it. And obviously it made a lot of well news, not just by winning the Oscar, but then the reaction to it from uh, from Trump when he kind of mocked the idea that a South Korean movie can win Best Picture and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I never saw the movie, but I always remembered that story about it. So I got to seeing it yesterday. Um, it's on Hulu now for anybody that wants to check it out. And I highly recommend it. Fantastic movie. But without any spoilers out there, the movie is a very, 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 you know, good description of class warfare if you will uh the discrepancy between the rich and the poor and the lives that the one percent lead and the lives that the lower level of our society live and the irony that that is the movie that the president of the united states decided to rail against was a movie that defines everything that's wrong with corruption the 1% and the way that this administration has skewered themselves to, to helping, you know, to, to, you know, lowering taxes on them and things like that was to me, one of the most enlightening things, you know, that I've ever seen. So I got a kick out of that. And that was a pretty good feeling to know that, Hey, the irony that the president of the United States was dissing this movie on a racial level for winning, and had no clue that it kind of described his failed presidency to a take. So that was something that I kind of got a kick out of. <laughs> yeah, I, speaking of people who are not self-aware enough, um, yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. Um, and, you know, like, if you go back, uh, was a couple years, you know if, like, Roma had won Best Picture, there's no way he's criticizing that movie. A hundred percent. No, yeah. no, that's so fine you, Italian yes. cinema. <laughs> exactly. So you, you know exactly where he's coming from with this. <laughs> exactly. Um, regarding foreign movies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a great movie too, by the way. I just recommend, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Kevin, but mm-hmm. it, 
everyone should watch that movie because it's not just an entertaining storyline, blah, blah, blah. There is a lot of social messaging in there that we all can learn from. So fantastic. Yeah. Everyone check it out. And as you mentioned, it's on Hulu now for free. So if, well, yeah. if you have a Hulu subscription, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So go check that out. Well worth it. Uh, so on my end, I've been really enjoying, I told Yogg's uh, before we start recording, I've gotten sucked into the animal crossing world. <laughs> That's that's what brings a smile to my face recently and is keeping me uh, sane in quarantine. It's become a massive time suck for me. It's uh, For those of you who don't know what it is, it's a video game on Nintendo Switch. Um, it's pretty much a game about nothing. You live on an island, you build a house, you decorate a house, you invite other people to live on the island. It's the complete opposite of the world right now as far as stress level goes. There's no social um, distancing in the game? It's... Uh, I mean, my character in the game, I do have him wearing a face mask, but <laughs> but outside of that, uh, it is the most low-key, low-stress game I think I've ever played. And so it's just I've been a very nice change of pace from the, uh, the, the day-to-day <laughs> that's been going on. So if you have a Switch, go check it out. Uh, highly recommend it. It's... <laughs> my wife is playing it, too. We're both very much enjoying that game it's keeping us entertained so and i'll have uh, you know you're not alone because i know a lot of people that are playing that game it's uh, blowing co-workers that people know yeah <laughs> so uh at least you're not the only one so <laughs> yeah it's so that's a uh, that's a couple things that have been keeping us entertained we'll keep coming at you each week with uh some extra extra topics next week yogs uh if you're joining us i hope you will uh, i think i want to talk about uh what uh what music's getting you through quarantine yeah. let's start talking about uh what we're listening to while we're sitting at home whether we're falling back on some old nostalgic tunes or if we got anything new that's uh playing on our our record players <laughs> oh yeah absolutely because without music and uh basically streaming uh i don't know where we'd be man it'd be like pretty uh it'd be a rough society right now. Let's just say that. Yeah, but I agree. I do want to say real quick, a quick rest in peace to the great Bill Withers. who's one of the greatest musicians to ever live. And I, I recommend everybody to catch an article that was written on him about uh, a few years back, but around the time he made it in the rock and roll hall of fame about in Rolling Stone. So look for that article on Rolling Stone about how he kind of suddenly just quit the music business and why he stopped doing that and stuff is so informative. Uh, but rest in peace to one of the greatest uh, singer songwriters to ever live. And for those who don't know, he wrote lean on me. Uh, and you know, some of the greatest songs you'll ever hear in your yeah, life. So. Just the two of us lonely yeah. day, like yeah. uh, lovely day. I'm sorry, not lonely yeah. day, lovely day, really a fantastic voice. Uh, really mm. sad that, you know, we've lost one of the greats there. But yeah, yeah check out his music too. That's that's yeah. a great call, Yugs. Yep. And uh, on that note of just, you know, Yugs made the point that, you know, music and streaming is kind of getting people through all this. Uh, I do want to just throw this out there. You know, if I know this is kind of just a, a shitty time overall in our history and it sucks being home and not being able to do your normal routine. So I, I do want to throw this out there to tell you, anyone that's, maybe struggling with it or maybe you don't even realize you're struggling with it internally just yet um but you feel something's missing and you're you're missing that human connection nowadays um you know if you don't have anyone to go out to to talk to you know feel free shoot us a message 
like Chatta, the Drinking Liberally Twitter account, um, at Drinking Lib Pod. Feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram. You know, it's the same Twitter, uh, Instagram handle, at Drinking Lib Pod. Uh, sorry, Drinking underscore Lib Pod. I should get my own uh, handle right there. <laughs> there or even just reach out to me personally on Twitter, um, at Kev W, D U B Y A, or on Facebook if we're Facebook friends. Um, this you don't have to do any of this stuff alone so uh if you are feeling like you just want some human contact you know just reach out and more than happy to chat with you promise it won't make an episode or anything about it it's just between us as you know human to human so yeah even though we can kind of feel alone here we're really not we have the opportunity to reach out in ways we never could before i know i've been doing more zoom meetings with friends i haven't seen in in uh months <laughs> even before the coronavirus that's kept me in touch with them so in a way i'm uh, i'm thankful that we have the technology to do so so please feel free if you feel like you're struggling with anything um reach out to us more than happy to chat with you all all right on that note then yogs thanks so much for joining it's been a pleasure Oh, yeah. It's always great to be on the Drinking Liberally podcast. Uh, one of my faves, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All right. So, again, just to reiterate, if you want to follow us, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at drinking underscore lib pod. You can check out our website where we'll post our uh, footnotes that we mentioned on drinking uh, com. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you all next week. Hope you're all doing well. Stay right. safe and healthy out there. And remember to wash your damn hands, all right? Cheers. <laughs>